0: Luke chapter 1, and Lord willing, we're going to do verses 5 through 25 today, in which uh, Luke, who's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he really just unfolds for us the story uh, in which Jesus came. We're going to see today in which the forerunner of Jesus came. And we're going to go through the study, and we're going to touch on a few things, and then what we'll do at the very end is we'll come back and we'll give seven points of application that we can bring into our life. But look what we read here in verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, And they were both well advanced in years. Luke here gives a bit of background, um, primarily introducing us to a certain couple that God would use uh, by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now we read first of all in verse 5 that it took place in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now when you study the Bible, you'll find many Herods uh, that are saturated throughout the scriptures Um, We have Herod Philip. He's mentioned in Matthew 14 and Mark 6. We have Herod Antipas. He was a Tetrarch of Galilee. We're going to read about him later in Luke chapter 3. Jesus called him a fox, and that was a negative connotation. We're going to see later on there's Herod Philip II and Herod Agrippa I and Herod Agrippa II. We read about them in Acts chapter 12 and then again in Acts chapter 25. So there's a, a lot of Herods. But the thing that I think might be significant for us to come away with today is that this Herod that we're reading about was the worst one. He was known as Herod the Great. And History tells us that he was a short guy on a power trip. And if anybody threatened his throne, you know what he would do? He would kill him. Didn't matter if you were his wife. Didn't matter if you were his son. As a matter of fact, they said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his family member. That's how bad it was, right? Really, really crazy time. Now, in looking at that, you might think, well, then God is bound. God can't move because there's a wicked man in authority. Even today, we look at the politicians, we look at our president, the, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans, the things that are going on, the, the governor. And I don't know about you, man, but I'm like, Lord, you know, these guys are, are bad. But man, make sure that you know, it, it doesn't matter who's on the throne of men. God's still on the throne, you guys. And even though this wicked Herod the Great, so to speak, was there, the king of Judea in those days... God was still on the throne. And as a matter of fact, God was about to do an amazing work. John the Baptist was to be born. He was the forerunner of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't lose heart. God is still working and he's on the throne. Here we see Luke introduces us to the bogus king and then the beautiful couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And he tells us a few things about them. He tells us here that Zacharias was a priest of the division of Abijah. Now what you find in looking at the history is that David had organized the priests in different divisions. There were so many priests that there had to be some organization. And what would happen is if you were a priest, then you would serve in the tabernacle or the temple. It would be two times a year, two weeks out of the year. Now, the division of Abijah is specifically mentioned in 1 Chronicles 24, verse 10. Such was the division that Zacharias belonged to. Now, at the time of this writing, there were 20,000 priests, and therefore they needed such organization. We see here that Luke mentions Zechariah being a priest. He also mentions, notice it says right there, that Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. And so there's something special there, definitely, within this couple. And yet, at the same time, I don't think he's going to emphasize their blood as much as he emphasizes their behavior. Because more important than our lineage is our life, right? And so, do we read right there in verse 6? It says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What an awesome, awesome thing when both husband and wife are on the same page. What an awesome thing when both husband and wife have a passion for the Lord. You know, we're going to see here that this couple was a blameless couple. And Luke, again, doesn't just randomly mention it as a side note. I think he makes an important aspect of the reason that they were blessed. And if you want God to bless your marriage, if you want God to bless your life, if you want God to use you in a way that would impact the world, I encourage you, husband and wife, get on the same page and fully surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because God blesses the blameless. He does. You know, sometimes we have people who say, you know, God's gracious. And, you know, on my worst day of my life, you know, he did this to me. And, yeah, he's able to do that because he's such an awesome God. But don't let that confuse you into carnality. God has bound himself to bless the blameless. And such is the case with Zacharias and Elizabeth. You know, it says right there in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God. You know, it's one thing to be righteous before men, you know, and you want everybody to think you're you know, you're know, a good Christian and everything. Some people, it's kind of funny, that's what they want. I just want everybody to think highly of me. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to think I'm the godliest man or the godliest woman. And they're so caught up in their act. You know what? It doesn't really matter that much what you think of me. What, what matters is what does the Lord see? How are you at home? How are you in your heart? You know, when God looked at this couple right here, it says they were both righteous before who? Before God. And that's the the main thing in our life, you guys. It's one thing to be righteous before men, and sometimes we see that, and that's a cool thing. But some people just put on a pretty good act, and their hearts are wicked. You know, men only see so far. It's something else. It's far more important to be righteous before God. And that's who Zacharias and Elizabeth were. And that's who we should be as well. You know, they walked the walk. They obeyed, it says right there, all. Not just some, all of the commandments and ordinances. Now we know they can't be sinless, but the Bible does say that they were blameless. The Greek word means free from fault or defect. In other words, their hearts were right. And my encouragement to you is to have the same heart. You know, that God would just do a great work in our life. You know, I really do believe we're living in the last days. I really do believe that you can't say tomorrow I'll serve the Lord. I really do believe that we're living in a day and an age right now, right here, you guys, that we all have to have that that full surrender to God. And and it's got to be now. I encourage you, it's got to be today. You know, in, in looking at this couple right here, they're a great example for us. They were right. They were right in God's sight. And so you would figure that everything would go right for them, right? Well, not exactly. (laughs) Look what it says next. It says in verse 7 that they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. That's Dr. Luke giving us the reason. And they were both well advanced in years. Now to have this as a stigma... In this day, was a very tough thing. To not have a child, especially in these days, was a terrible stigma. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The people of the day would definitely see this as a clear manifestation of the judgment of God upon their life. People would look at them and they would say, there must be some secret sin. They don't have any kids. And that was the reproach that this couple lived with. More than likely, no one esteemed them. And that's okay. They lived for the Lord. And they continued to live for the Lord. And I want to encourage you to continue to do the same thing. Here Luke tells us why. And we see that Elizabeth was barren. You know, and if you just kind of think about it for a second... It must have been a great disappointment in their life, you know, not to have any kids. You know, nowadays, unfortunately, it would be no big deal, huh? We live in a society now that says, oh, well, I guess you can spend your money in other places. You know, they don't realize the blessing of having children and the blessing of having a family. You know, but in these days especially, there was this kind of this, uh, you know, Um, superstitious thing that if you didn't have kids, then, you know, it was a sign of God's judgment. For them, it definitely would have been a disappointment, you know, and later we'll see that they would have prayed for children in their life. And more than likely, they thought that God did not answer their prayer. Now, you and I, we've read the whole story. We know eventually they will have children. And so it's an encouragement for us. Like Warren Wiersbe says, disappointments are God's appointments. And God would answer their prayer for kids. It was just going to be a little bigger, a little better, a little later, a little greater. And so you wait on the Lord, man. You continue to pray. Like I was telling my son on the way over here, man, who knows? They may have prayed that prayer 30 years ago and thought that God never heard or God had forgotten. But God hears the cries of his kids who are clean. And so one day God would come through, right? You know, like Greg Laurie said, he said this about prayer. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, then God says go. And in God's timing, all this would come together. We will see that although this godly couple did not have children, God did answer their prayer It was just a matter of his perfect timing. Because look what happens, you guys. We read in verse 8, it says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Again, Luke is just kind of giving us a story, man. Jesus was going to come onto the scene. And before Jesus' birth, there's this whole annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner to Jesus. And he says, you know, this is how kind of everything unfolded. And he's just kind of relaying the story to us. But in the relay of the story, I think there's a lot of things that we can glean in looking at the way that the Lord moves. You know, one of the interesting things that we see right here in verse 8, it says, So it was that while he was serving. You know, I think that's an important aspect, even just that right there. You know, because God blesses faithfulness. All of us here have a gift. All of us here have talents. All of us here have a calling, a service to offer to God. And if you serve faithfully while you're serving, it's amazing what can happen in your life. You know, it was Gideon. He was threshing wheat, and the angel came to him while he was serving. It was Moses, and he was tending sheep, and the angel came to him while he was serving. It was David, and he was delivering pizza, and the calling came to him while he was serving. Because when you're faithful in the little things, God will entrust more to you. But if you're not faithful in that which is least, how can he entrust more to you? It's been said that you only go as far as you fail. And you might find yourself, well, I don't know about this little job. And you know what, God says, okay, then that's it. I wanted to give you more. I had more for you. but. It's not about this serving in your heart. You know, a lot of times, you guys, we find ourselves not where we should be because we're not where we should be. And God says, right now, while he while he was serving, it's so cool, you know, the Lord does this work. His lot fell, it says, to burn incense. And what that means is, is God chose him. God chose him. As I mentioned earlier, there were 20,000 priests. They would come two times a year uh, to serve in the special way. They would come on the other holidays, but they would come two times a year from Sabbath to Sabbath. They would be there for a week, you know, to serve the Lord. Now, to burn incense was considered a great uh, opportunity, again, an opportunity of a lifetime. But while he was serving, the Bible says that his lot fell to burn Incense. We read that in the Exodus chapter 30, verse 7 and 8, that they would offer the incense in the morning and in the evening. According to David Guzik, there were several lots cast to determine who did what at the morning sacrifice. The first lot determined who would cleanse the altar and prepare its fire. The second lot determined who would kill the morning sacrifice and sprinkle the altar, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. The third lot determined who would come and offer the incense. This was the most privileged duty to offer incense would be once in a lifetime opportunity. You know, we read right here in verse 10, it says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. How many of you here were Catholic and you remember the incense that would go up during the services? Any of you guys remember that? It smelled good, huh? you're like, no, it didn't. I liked it. I don't know why. You know, um, we should do that here, huh? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Incense is a picture of prayer. That's what it is. And, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayers rise to your throne as incense. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, verse 3, it talks about the incense and the prayers of the people coming before the Lord. And what it was, it was a sweet-smelling aroma to his nostrils, to his heart, and he would smell that. And that's what your prayers are, man. They rise to the Lord, and they enter into his being, so to speak. It's amazing. And here the whole multitude is praying um, Zacharias is chosen once in a lifetime opportunity while he was faithfully serving. It's an amazing thing. You know, the other two priests, they would go in. They would take care of their business. They would actually all go in together. But when they were done doing what they did, according to Jewish custom, they would come out. He would be there all alone, and then he would offer the incense. Remember, there was the holy place and the most holy place. Now, he's not going into the most holy place. That was only the high priest, and that was only once a year in the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But he would go into the holy place and they would go in the morning, and then someone else would go in the evening. And so there he is in the morning. Everybody's praying, and he puts the incense on the altar, and Zacharias begins to pray as well. And he, I'm sure, begins to pray you know, for the nation. And it's important for us to understand what prayer is. You know, One of the things that's interesting is that at this juncture in Jewish history, they say that before dawn, okay, now this is before the sun would rise, Literally hundreds of worshipers would gather at the temple. You know, and, and think about that. If, just for a second, before the sun would rise, hundreds of people would go to pray. And, you know, sometimes for us, it's, it's hard to get a few people at a prayer meeting. But when God moves and it's sovereignty, it's God's sovereignty, there's also man's responsibility. He's going to move in response to prayer. As a congregation, we need to catch the vision to pray together. And then he will move. A lot of times we like to blame, well, it's him or her. Have you caught the vision? There they are and they're praying. Hundreds of people, they gather before the sun rises. And the morning sacrifice began when the priest walked toward the temple. He would be the incense priest. And he would strike a gong. It was, you know, those big, loud, you know, symbol types of things. It was known as the magrafah. And at this sound, the Levites would assemble, and they would get ready to lead the gathered people in songs of worship to God. The other two priests would do their responsibility, all of them entering into the holy place together. But the one priest would set his burning coals on the golden altar, and then the prayer was lifted up in the holy place. You know, and I know we have great needs that are represented here, and I know we have great desires in our heart. But you know, a lot of times it comes down to heart. Like, like, do you really want it? You know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to my son Aaron about this boxing fight or this baseball game or this basketball game, and I'll tell him, you know, a lot of times it's just the one who's hungry. It's the one who has hearts. You got, you know, the, the intestinal fortitude. And I think for Christians, you know, a lot of it is like, yeah, I want this. And yeah, I want God to move. But a lot of times, and I'm not saying for everybody here, but a lot of times the bottom line is when it gets down to the nitty gritty, you don't really want it because you're not really praying. And, and, you know, you just got to know, and I'm telling you what the Bible teaches, that you got to pray. That we have to pray. And then God will move. We have to get on our knees. We have to get on our face. We have to fast. And we have to seek the Lord. That's what happens here. The people are praying. You know, Zacharias is in there offering the incense. And undoubtedly, this righteous man is, is pouring out his heart to God. And then look what happens. It says in verse 11, And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. One of the other Gospels tells us it was uh, an angel that looked like this chubby little kid with wings. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. (laughs) It's funny how we've got these funky angels nowadays. I mean, this was a glorious angel. Anytime you see, especially in the Gospel of Luke, an angel coming, they just get afraid, right? And it says in verse 13, though, but the angel said, Do not be afraid. That's usually the first words that would come out of their mouth. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Lucas is telling us that this was all supernatural. You know, Luke is writing. Remember, we talked last week to Theophilus, and he's giving him a real, really, really good version of the life of Christ, the words and works of Jesus. And this is how, you know, it all came about. And he's telling him right here that it was just totally supernatural, that it was totally the Lord and what he had done. You know, while Zechariah is there burning incense, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Later, he reveals himself to be Gabriel. Zacharias was immediately gripped with fear, but the angel says, Don't, don't be afraid. I'm cool. I come with you, uh, to you with an answer from the Almighty. And he tells him there, it's kind of interesting. He says, Your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Not just any son, though. He's going to be an amazing son. He will bring you and others joy and gladness. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. This son will be set apart, not drunk with wine. As a matter of fact, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This son will grow and turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. Before who? Before the Messiah. He will go before him in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make a people prepared for the Lord. All this was a fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Their son, John, was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And you look at that and you're just, man, you're just blown away, huh? Huh? just at the way that things unfolded here and the calling of their son and the way that God was moving. You know, we're going to come back to this a little later when we look at the seven points of application, but I just think it's so cool, this promise, this prophecy. Zacharias and Elizabeth were going to have a son and the world was going to have a savior. When you look at this, you see that the bridge is crossed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Malachi to Luke, that after 400 years of silence, the silence was finally broken with such an amazing blessing. Now, unfortunately, Zacharias didn't receive this too readily. Look what we read next in verse 18. It says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. You know, we see that Zacharias said, I'm old, and so I tell you what, Gabe, I need a sign. (laughs) You know. I need a sign, you know. And uh, and God we're gonna look at this later. It's not good to seek a sign, it's a sin to seek a sign. And when we sin by seeking a sign we suffer and others suffer. You know, and it can happen to any of us. You know, God says this. I tell you what. I already wrote it down. It's in my word. Just take his word and run with it. And so what ends up happening? It says in verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Zacharias said, I am an old man. The angel said, it doesn't matter who you are. I am Gabriel and God is God. And you might be here today thinking, I'm an old man. You know what? It doesn't matter how old you are. Your life is not over. By any means. It doesn't matter. We're going to see next week how young you are. Mary was probably 14 years old, 15 years old. It doesn't matter how old or how young. What matters is your consecration. With whatever days you have left, whatever years you have before you, that you would be willing to give them all to God. And to know it doesn't matter who you are, Zacharias. It doesn't matter. What matters is who he is. Amen? We have to have that in our heart. The angel said, I was sent to speak to you, and you were supposed to go speak to them. You were supposed to go speak the truth in these tidings. But now, because of your unbelief, you will be unable to speak because you did not believe. And although Zacharias was a very godly man, he doubted the Lord, and therefore was disciplined by the Lord. You know, I'm grateful that the promises still came to pass, but again, we need to be so careful in seeking signs. You know, don't become mystical. Don't get weird on the Lord. You're going to be led astray. You know, all we need is the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, and He guides our life. Jesus said in Matthew twelve, thirty nine, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What do we need to do? We just need to take God at His Word. When we seek signs, we sin, we suffer, and others suffer. Along with us. Because look what happens in verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. You know, in those days, the custom was for the priest to come from the temple as soon as he was finished praying to assure, first of all, the people that he had not been struck dead by God. But after the incense priest finished, he was to come out of the holy place. He would come through the great doors of the temple, and he would be met by the other two priests right outside the doors. And then the incense priest, and this was to be Zacharias, he was to raise his hands and he was to bless the people with the blessing from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. After all this, what happened, what they would do is the Levites would muster up the praise band and they would start worshiping the Lord and they would begin with a blast from silver trumpets and then the priest would strike the cymbals and the choir of the Levites would begin to sing the Psalm of the Day. That's the way it was supposed to go. But when Zacharias came out, he could not speak. You know, they knew that something was... Happening, but they didn't know the details of it. And for that reason, they missed out. You know, and I just want to encourage you guys as a congregation to believe with all your heart. To stand on God's word and don't doubt him. The Bible says that if you're a doubting disciple, then you are an unstable man. You take God at his word and you live it and you believe it and you stand on it and you pray and you live knowing it's true there's a heaven there's a hell there's a god who's watching over you you make a difference in the life of your children and your coworkers and your family members and in this world and god is able to take that you know little mustard seed of faith and move mountains and change the world he's just looking for one man who believes What if we got a group of people who believed? Because when we doubt, we disable ourselves. That's what happened to Zacharias. He could not speak. And what a beautiful message he could have shared. He could have said, the Savior is coming. And the forerunner to the Savior of the world is coming. An angel came, and this is exactly what he said. But he could not speak. He was disabled because of his doubt. You know, we look around the world today and we see individuals that are disabled and, you know, our heart goes out to them and whatever the disability might might be. But I wonder if God was to give us spiritual eyes, how many of us in the church are disabled? And your tongue is tied and you're deaf and you're mute and you're lame. We can't hear, we can't see, even sometimes our own sin that's getting in the way of our relationship with God. You're blind. we got to believe. We've got to take God at His word, lest we become disciples who are disabled. Here we see the ceremony didn't go according to tradition, but things were set in motion for the Christ to come. And so Zacharias finished up his service, it says in verse 23, so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Zacharias finishes up his service as a priest And then he goes home and he serves as a husband, if you know what I mean. Now, it's important for you to know what I mean, because it's not a virgin birth, okay? You got to know that. Elizabeth conceived, and we don't know why, but for five months, probably wanting to make sure she's pregnant. Okay, do I see the bubble? Yeah, I think it's really happening, man. (laughs) You know, um, and probably wanting to seek the Lord. This is amazing what's happening to me. But she hid herself for five months, and what happens? The Lord took away her reproach. The Lord took away her shame. You know, Psalm 119, verse 22, it says Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimony. And that's what God will do in our life, you guys. I don't know where you're at right now. You know, sometimes we live and we're we're doing our best to obey the Lord and there's certain elements of shame and and reproach and things that we wish were different in our life. And we're thinking, man, I don't get it, Lord. I'm serving you and I'm loving you. I'm trying my best to be sincere and to be real as a man of God or a woman of God. And it just doesn't seem like things are are really, you know, happening. I, I feel... A certain reproach, Lord, in my life. And God says, just, you know what? You just stay focused. You continue to seek me with everything that you are. And the day will come when all the shame will be taken away. And it might not happen on earth. It might not happen until we get to heaven. You know, sometimes I think in church, it's kind of like you're in high school and you got the popular people and the unpopular people. And unfortunately, sometimes what you find is that some people, even in the church, they look down on others. And I just pray that would never happen here. That we're all, we're all on level ground here, man. There's no one here better than anybody else here. But sometimes we look down on someone for whatever reason, but you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know where they've been. You don't know what they're doing. For all you know, they might be the one holding this church up, praying as a pillar, a woman of God or a man of God. And one day when we get to heaven, you will be shocked. Because God will reveal the fact that, you know what, they were ones that were really in love with me. And they prayed, and they, and they did the best they could with what they were given. But you didn't. All I know is this, man, that the Lord comes through when you have a heart that's right. And one day, man, you know, the, the truth will be revealed. Elizabeth was not only going to have a have a boy; he was going to have a boy that would change the world. See, and that's the way it works. What a beautiful story, huh? Beautiful, beautiful story. Um, before we leave, I just want to give seven points of application, and there are so many other things here. You know, the bottom line is my encouragement to you is to go home and and to reread it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Areas of your own life that need to be modified so God would be glorified. But here's seven things that I want to give to you. The first four have to do with our responsibility. And this last three have to do with God. And number one, remember this, the blessing of the blameless. The blessing of the blameless. We read in verse 6 about Zacharias and Elizabeth, that they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless and i just want to encourage you to know that god has bound himself to bless the blameless you know if you live a life of obedience and i'm learning more and more as a christian you guys that that really is what it's all about i love spending time with the lord you know one of my favorite parts of every day is my quiet time with god i go and i pray and i read my bible and i just love being with him you know it's awesome huh but the Lord has revealed to me at the same time, I can't just have you know, quiet time and say I did my you know hour of prayer in the morning. I must, I must live the life. I must, and you must live the life. That it's not just about religious stuff and going to church. You must live the life. And when you live the life, God will bless you. And I'm not saying he's going to give you kids necessarily or he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, but he will bless you with greater things. God blesses the blameless. The Bible says in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you walk uprightly, you're going to get everything that God wanted to give. Number two, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Here we see both personal and congregational. How Zacharias prayed for a son, and he thought maybe God didn't hear, or he thought God said no. And 40 years later, we don't know how old he was, man, but just decades later, God answered his prayer. And you know, you are here and maybe you're praying a prayer and maybe it hasn't come to pass yet. Don't lose heart. Just try your best to even pray according to His will. Know His will and know that it makes a difference. I encourage you to pray personally. I encourage you to pray congregationally. If you want God to do a great work in this church, why not pray with the church? Come on Saturday mornings. Come on Wednesday nights. Come when there's prayer meetings. Tonight, we're going to pray at 6 o'clock. Come. There's power in prayer. Personally, congregationally. Number three, the duty of the disciple. The duty of the disciple. Now, looking at John the Baptist, he's a great example to us. Again, look at the way the angel describes he would live his life. It says from verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. What that means is that he would not do what the rest of the world was doing. How they're all in, you know, happy hour. They're all doing their own thing. And how he was consecrated. How he was set apart. And I want to encourage you to have the same heart of consecration. You know, don't do what the rest of the world is doing, because you got to know they're going down the wrong road. And they're all, you know, into themselves and entertainment and into the exterior and into materialism. And, you know, they, they're getting high, they're getting drunk. I mean, he's consecrated. That's the duty of a disciple, and that's where it begins, where you realize that you're set apart with a specific mission in life. And I just try to tell everybody that, you know, over and over again, that you were made for a reason. There's something that God wants you to do for Him. Some of those things are very clear as a husband and as a dad, as a wife, as a mom, as a friend, as a worker. Some of those things you need to seek the Lord on. What is it, God, that you want me to do in life? I believe you made me for a reason. And you don't get caught up in this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Consecrated. you got to be consecrated. And everyone else is high on the world. And you get high and you find your, your strength from God and you're under His influence. That's the duty of a disciple. Consecrated. Consecration. And then there's the unction. Because we read there in verse 15, He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You know, because we know that we can't do this on our own strength. And for some of you here, you've kind of hit your head against the wall, you know, 37,000 times. And the Lord kind of finally teaches you, you can't do it. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how good talking you are. I don't care whatever it is. You can't do it on your own strength. You need God. You need his anointing, right? And so here it says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now that's a strong anointing, huh? You know, and you're like, Manny, I can't do that. I'm already born. Okay, cool. Well, lay hand on these kids who are in their tummy still. Let's do that for one. Number two, here it is. Get the Holy Spirit ASAP <laughs> as soon as possible. Now, I know when you were born again and you became a Christian, you were already filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that he lives in you. But now there's a surrender. And it's kind of like not so much of him that you have, but how much of you does he have? where He empowers you and He comes upon you and He strengthens you and you know the difference when you don't got it because you keep failing. The duty of a disciple, consecration, unction. You keep praying, you keep seeking, you keep asking. The third thing is function. And here we see where we realize our ministry, what it's all about. Look what it says there in verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to who? Who? To the Lord their God. What's my function as a minister? What's our function as disciples, as Christians? It is to turn the people to the Lord. Not me. It doesn't matter if you like me. It doesn't matter if I'm your favorite. That doesn't mean anything. I don't want to turn you to me or to him or to her. I want to turn you. Our job is to turn you to the Lord. To where you fall in love with him. Where he becomes your passion. That's the one that you want to please. That's the one. He's the one that you always think about. John the Baptist was great at that. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. John the Baptist came on the scene with a powerful ministry. But once he was done and Jesus was going to take over, he was gone. Because it ain't about John. And it's not about you and it's not about me and it's not about that Christian celebrity that you got on a pedestal. That's idolatry. It's about the Lord. That's our function. Fall in love with Him. Live to please Him. That's our function. We see here the family of God and and also the family of men because look what it says there in verse 17. He will also be before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And what that is right there, again, it comes from the book of Malachi. It says that family is important. Family is. Family is the fiber of society. And that's where it's got to start. If you're here today and you're a father, if you're here today and you're you a mother, a husband or wife, you got to have church at home. Fathers have to have heart for their children, for their wives. There cannot be a neglect. Satan knows that's the fabric of society. That's why he focuses on it. Divorces—they're living two different lives. They're just roommates. They're not soulmates. Dads don't have time for their kids. If they do, all they're telling them is, hey, you got to get a good job and go get a college education. They tell their daughters the same thing. doesn't make any sense. They're not preparing their sons to be husbands and fathers, and they're not preparing their daughters to be wives and mothers. See, the function is the spiritual family, but also the biological family. And if we take care of the family... We have a good church. The relationship between a husband and wife is supposed to be a, a reflection of the relationship of Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. That's how important it is. You see, the disciple John is kind of interesting. In the middle of such a huge ministry, he mentions the family. See, that's the function. We end with a concentration there as far as the duty of the disciple. And again, what it is, is just pointing people to Jesus. Remember when these guys, Peter, they were unknowns then. Peter, James, and John, nobody really knew who they were, right? But one day Jesus is passing by and he says, Behold, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so there's you know Peter and John and they look one way at John the Baptist and they look the other way at Jesus. And they're like, well, which one should I follow? And what does John say? Follow Jesus. Even if it means you've got to leave me. And that's the way it ended up. And one day they said, John, I don't understand it. Everybody's going over to Jesus. And, and they're being baptized by Him. John, you're not the favorite anymore. And Jesus said, that's okay. You know, they, John said, that's okay. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You see, in gleaning some lessons from here, we see the blessing of the blameless, the power of prayer, the duties of the disciple, and then the disabilities of the doubtful. And I already mentioned that, how God sees the heart and unbelief will hinder, hurt, and harm us. Unbelief will paralyze us. Unbelief will disable us. William McDonald said this Whenever a believer entertains doubts concerning God's word, he loses his testimony, he loses his song. Unbelief seals the lips. The grief and thief of unbelief. You guys, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's a God, there's a calling. Everything he says in his word is true. Now, we need to go out and we need to live that out loud. We can't be the double-minded men that James speaks of. Now, whenever you read the Bible, I want to encourage you to look for your responsibility. But don't end there. Because sometimes you have people that say, you've got to do this, and 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 that's it. It's like, wait a minute, what about God? <laughs> you know, and in looking at this, I think we see the faithfulness of the Father, huh? We see that. It's interesting. Zacharias, his name means the Lord remembers. Elizabeth, her name means oath of God. And so when you put them together, the Lord remembers his oath, right? He's faithful. He promised. It's kind of cool. And then you have John, and his name means God is gracious. And here we are today, and you know, I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know what's happened yesterday, last week, last month, or you know, everything behind you. But I want you to know this that God is here to give us a new beginning. God is here to wash away our sins and by his grace give us a new start. And you and I, we can possess the promises. We see here the faithfulness of the Father, we see, secondly, the coming of the Christ. Because John was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let me ask you a question. He came the first time. Is he coming again? He is. The Lord is at hand. He could come on any day now. The coming of Christ, the supply of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower us to be parents. He will empower us to be prophets. He will empower us to be biblical. He will empower us to be even blameless as we yield to Him our hearts. My encouragement to you as Christians in closing is let go of your unbelief. Live a life that is modified so that God would be magnified. If you're not a Christian, I pray that today would be the day that you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ as your Savior. And Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We're all here in unison. I think just saying it's all about You. And just like You came the first time, I know You're coming again. We need to be ready, Lord. Lord, I pray that You would touch Your church. You'd stir us up. You'd build us up while we are serving, that you would send, send an angel, send the power of the Holy Spirit. Open doors, Lord, that no man can close. And shut doors that no man can open. Radically, powerfully, immediately, supernaturally, I pray, that you would change us. I pray especially, Lord, for those Christians who might be here today struggling, Lord. I pray especially for them. And Lord, I also pray if there's any here today who maybe they're not a Christian, that today, Lord, you would speak to them that if they don't turn to Christ, they will perish. Your word says they will go to hell and then the lake of fire forever and ever. I pray, Lord, that would strike fear. I pray at the same time they would know the love that you have, that you don't want them to go there. And so you sent your Son, Jesus. He hung on a cross. He was nailed to a cross for their sins. And that today, Lord, is very simple. If they would but turn from their sins and trust in Christ, that they can be free and forgiven forever and ever. And just in case you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to receive the Lord today, right where you're at, I just want you to pray this prayer. Pray it in your heart. Mean it from your heart. If today you want to give your life to Christ, if today you want to get right, right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Lord, I come to you today. And I admit I have sinned. I turn from my sin. I repent. And I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live life as a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to talk to you afterwards. Or you just fill out one of those cards. And you just say, hey, I, I prayed to receive Christ and we'll follow up and we'll contact you and we'll pray for you. Okay, the rest of us, let's all stand up and we'll close with a song.